Worshipful brethren, brethren all, welcome to Freemasonry in seven minutes or less. In this episode, we'll be discussing alchemy from a neuroscientist perspective. I'm sure that listeners to this podcast will be aware of the plethora of online multimedia resources relating to Freemasonry and will subsequently be familiar with the other platforms that have hosted Brother Earnshaw. Those that have listened to or watched any of these recordings will no doubt recall just how extensive Brother Earnshaw's resume is. Far too modest of a chap to play on it, I propose Brother Earnshaw's credentials in the medical field to be the strongest selling point of his quadrilogy, that being that he has a PhD in neuroscience. Also, Brother Earnshaw is the CEO of a medical device company with several publications to his name and is also the past Grand Historian for the Grand Lodge of Japan. Any of those three facts I would consider to make the person's work worthy of study, but all through together, is pretty rare. Authors on Freemasonry, spirituality, and alchemy really get out of the sphere of conspiracy theory, so it's refreshing to have an illustrious brother do so. It's only taken up until the 60th episode for an intro, but hey-ho. <laughs> so, Brother Earnshaw, uh, could you please tell us about your PhD in neuroscience and what was the topic of your thesis? Yes, so um, my background is actually rather mundane. Um, I was uh, hospitalized in 1993 uh, with a um, development of asthma. In a bad case of asthma, it can easily become something known as Churg-Strauss syndrome. And uh, this is where the body starts to attack itself. The white blood cells uh, inside the lungs start to break down the uh, the the lung the wall of the lungs and it gets very difficult to breathe and uh, death is quite common with people with Jörg Strauss syndrome. Uh, I had to have very high levels of uh, of uh, corticosteroids. I ended up with something called moon face. My face went completely round. Um, but I, I pulled through it and um, I haven't looked back. Um, so one thing I've always been interested in is how to heal myself. So um, I, I believe that the body knows how to heal itself and that we actually interfere when we give the body medicine. I shouldn't say this because I've, I've worked for two of the world's best pharmaceutical companies. I worked in GSK and in Merck. And uh, so I have a very kind of biased view, but I think too many people see medicine as a crutch. And instead of looking to how to change their own lifestyle, for example, their food or uh, other things, um, they go straight to the doctor and say, I need a prescription. And they expect a third party to do the work they should be doing themselves. Uh, so I've been looking for um, a cure f for asthma for since 1990. Um, my background in neuroscience was actually in imaging. Um, this happened because of my uh, being in hospital. I got to be very close to the neuro uh, neuroscientist there. He was um, because uh, Chuck Strauss uh syndrome is a, a nervous disease um uh, the nerves get damaged and um, it's very difficult to hold things and you got a lot of pain and other things it's just not worth talking about but 
So I was talking and I was really interested and he was interesting. It was a Japanese hospital and a Japanese doctor. And he was giving me all sorts of books. And um, for example, the Jong, which is um, a classical uh, neurology textbook. And I was in hospital for three months and I was reading the Jong and I thought, I want to study this myself. So um, I started, I applied to a university and got accepted to study uh, imaging of the brain. This came through by another coincidence. I, I knew somebody who was working on this area and I helped uh, in some of the background research into uh, a fifth generation imaging system. So of course, you know, have uh, your usual x-rays and you have the CT scans and MRIs and the fourth generation, uh, fifth generation is something called SQUID stands for super quantum interference device, um, mm -hmm. which is also a pun because we often use the uh, the nerves taken from a squid because this, <laughs> the nerves are extremely long in a squid and they oh, can be sure, used sure. for uh, lab uh, research. So I was uh, in, working with this super quantum interference and what it is basically is a way of looking inside the brain uh, from three different tangents so it had an xyz and so instead of just looking at it in a flat uh image you would get a 3d image and you could pinpoint lasers to where a disease was down mm -hmm. to the micron and this is in in cancer for example is a very nice technology to have you go into somebody's brain and you can zap exactly mm -hmm. the the cells you want to without damaging any of the other uh, cerebral functions. And okay. so that's what I did. I did um, some of the, I helped on the computer algorithms. So neuroscience, I'm not somebody holding a scalpel and have life and death in my hands. I was um, more the kind of intellectual. And my, my PhD was about um, uh, uh, cerebral insult to the brain and the use of squid. So interesting. Yeah, it was it was interesting, and because it's kind of right at the front of of technology, um, this uh, super quantum interference device was in a four four or five story building that had no floors. It was just mm -hmm. a very open space, and it had this copper ball hanging from the ceiling. The copper ball was about uh, twenty five foot in in. Uh, diameter and it was made of seven layers of copper and the door was mm -hmm. sevenfold and you you went up steps like like walking into an airplane and th then they closed the doors after you and then you were locked inside this ball and then you put you know put a a, a sensory cap on top and the reason for this was so that the, the minutest um uh, interference could not be picked up by the machine. For example, like uh, microwaves or uh, and t uh, mobile phones and things like this. Yes, yeah, yes. Yeah. So you needed seven layers of copper, uh, like a, a Faraday cage, but seven of yeah, yeah. <laughs> and or a tin foil hat. A little bit, yeah, a little bit <laughs> more advanced, perhaps. And uh, there were only two of these machines in Japan, and there are only six worldwide. So oh, wow. to get access to this, um, 
was quite difficult and we were at the forefront of the research. So it was a very easy PhD to pick up. You know, it's not like studying, um, you know, um, <laughs> Charlotte Bronte. You know, there must be 500 mm -hmm. PhDs on Charlotte Bronte. But where we were, <laughs> there were none, you know, and uh, you got published very quickly. So um, I, I think I got in the back door. <laughs> so, <clears throat> yes, that's it. Well, thank, thank you for that. Uh, what was the name of that syndrome? Was it Charghausen syndrome? Uh, Churg Strauss. Churg uh, Strauss, right? Yes, Churg Strauss. It's two um, American researchers mm. who identified the disease. And I wonder how that relates to COVID, actually, because the, the white blood uh, cells in COVID not, It's not the same. Completely. Yeah, okay, completely okay. different. Yeah. And it questions? happens to about one in 200 asthmatic patients. Interesting. They get tingling okay. in their arms and it, then it gets really bad. I remember the day it went really bad. I, I didn't know what I had. And suddenly my right hand, I couldn't use it. And I, I was driving a Toyota Supra in those days. And I went mm. belting down the expressway to the major university hospital because all the other <laughs> hospitals are just, you know, mum and pop uh, garages mm. as far as I was concerned. So I found, uh, you know, because of my, my background in pharma, and so I went belting down the expressway, driving the Supra with a three-liter <laughs> car with only one hand, you know, changing the gears. Bloody and, hell. Yeah, and Bloody then I hell. got the car park, and I, I left the keys in it, and I just basically crawled in, into uh, ER. Crikey. And the car, I don't know what happened to the car. It must have, somebody must have parked it. I don't know, but you know, I just parked the car. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm seriously sick. But I didn't know what was wrong. And they didn't know what was wrong. It took like three no. or four days. And um, Goodness me. yeah, they had to do a lung biopsy. And that was a joke as well. Anyway, don't want to talk about that. But No, let's, let's, let's <laughs> move on to the next subject. Yes, let's do that. No. <laughs> well, thank you for that story. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> some people might see it as an opposed field of study and to your professional life. So how did you step on the foot to the... Um, Step foot onto the path of alchemy. Was it something you spotted in the ritual? Was it unrelated to um, related to personal inquiry? <laughs> so, well, first of all, I mean, I've been a, I joined Freemasonry thirty five or six years ago, mainly because my family's in it. My father, my grandfather, my great grandfather. My grandfather was in the Grand Lodge of England as a, as an officer, and my great grandfather. I don't know how far back it goes, but. Um, this I do know. And uh, they all spoke wonderful things about it. The people they met and brought back to the home were just really nice people. And they didn't have to sell me. I mean, I just, you know, if that's what it's all about, I want to be part of it. So I, I joined. Mm -hmm. And the the alchemy, I first got interested in um, the tarot. And uh, the tarot, I wrote a book called The Tarot of the Revelation. Uh, which um, purports, <laughs> I had to use that word, that <laughs> the tarot is based on the book of Revelation. And uh, this is based on the teaching of Edgar Cayce, who I happened to just read a book about, and I was fascinated by this person. Um, and uh, he gave me some hints about the book of Revelation, and I realized, my research, the first 14 cards in the book, in the tarot, are to be found in the book of Revelation. They're described exactly as they are. And not only that, they're in the same order. 
And so this got me really interested in the tarot and from the tarot, um, looking at other aspects and alchemy was one of them. And uh, uh, it just uh, was part of my teaching. I think um, it the tarot is interesting because it opens a door inside your mind to let other types of teaching in. So, you know, I came, my back, Ground. I, I did languages at school. I didn't do sciences at high school. And so the pharmaceutical industry taught me the science I knew. You had to, as a uh, pharmaceutical rep, you had to take uh, medical examinations, not as a doctor, but to be able to talk to doctors in their own language. And there's something called the ABPI, the um, Associated Board of Pharmaceutical Industries in England, and they have a, an exam. It's quite difficult. And anyway, I passed it. And um, so that was the limit of my medical knowledge. But then later I did qualify as um, a, um, a paramedic in the U.S. Navy. And uh, this enabled me to go on from there to study um, neuroscience and whatever. So kind of uh, I wasn't a very f- focused um uh, line of study. I just seemed to go bounce, rather like a pinball machine. I just go mm. bounce from one interesting thing to the next interesting thing, you know, or a butterfly sure, sure. that goes to bright flowers. That was me. You know? <laughs> um, but when I got to alchemy, uh, then my background at university had been Japanese and Chinese. And then I knew about Mencius and I went to Taiwan uh, a couple of years back and I was invited to a Taiwanese temple uh um uh, uh and uh there you know i was initiated into the temple it was um very interesting and not only that i realized it was exactly the same as the first degree in freemasonry and then the my brain just went crazy i just couldn't you know why how how can the you know, initiation ceremony of a Taoist temple in, in Taiwan be the same as the first degree in, in England, you know, but it is exactly the same. And then it led me to write four books um, on spiritual Freemasonry and the rest is history, as they say. The rest is history, yeah. <laughs> I suppose um, it's the disconnect between the culture of Taoism in, in the West that we we just don't see the correlations between the two. There's nowhere where you can go and get initiated in this country into a Taoist temple um, easily. Mm. So mm. The, I suppose it's just like the, the system to the Taoist would be exactly the same as well. It would be the exact cultural mirror. Yes. And so then I had to look at it, whether this was a coincidence that two very old uh, cultures had come to the same same understanding and same discovery that this is how initiations should be done. But actually, Taoism has been doing this type of initiation for 2,000 years and Freemasonry only for 300 years. So obviously, so then how did Freemasons learn from the the Taoists? And and it became quite complicated, but I think Mm -hmm. I found a, a, a story that makes sense. But it's been a very exciting journey, if I can say that. And I haven't been involved in pharmaceuticals and neuroscience for 25 years. So I'm I'm really Mm. rusty on that. No problem. (laughs) I'm hoping to get on the ground in Oxford. I have made a few phone calls in the last few weeks trying to chase the Michael Shen line. 
And, oh, right. Uh, yeah, that would be I'm, interesting. I'm, I I'm would really like to, to somebody. Yeah, sorry. Um, I'd really like to see the book that um, uh, Hyde writ had written. And, That's uh, what I'm trying to find. I'm trying to find his writing. So I'm trying to find somebody that knows of his catalog. Uh, I've been in contact with the with the registrar, but they they're aware of his attendance and they are aware of a few other things. But I'm trying to find somebody that knows the a specific manuscript. So yes, yes. but he did Keep, publish a book, and I'm looking here. It's called uh, Syntagma Dissertarium Dissertanium et Opuscula. <laughs> it was mm. published in 1767. <clears throat> and uh, this is a collection of his writings. Uh, <clears throat> I think because he met uh, Shen Fujong and also that connection brought him to meet King James II, I think that was yes. a very memorable occasion for him. He must yes. have written about it somewhere. It must have. So that's yeah. what I need to try and find. So yeah. it'd be interesting. Keep, keep your um, ears peered, guys. We'll <laughs> keep you keep you informed of any updates thank you well um thank you for that brother and sure that was, uh, that was interesting and um, <laughs> that concludes this episode if you have any questions please email us on the link below we're now part on the square and we'll meet soon thank you and goodbye goodbye <laughs>